koutou, no mai, hi to mai. Welcome to q and I'm Jack Tang. Today, a major milestone in our response to COVID-19 as the government lays out its initial plans for reopening New Zealand to the world. So long as the scientific evidence shows we can safely transition from a border defence to the individual armour of the vaccine, then that is the direction we will go. But if the vaccine rollout is critical to fortifying our defences, why won't politicians or health officials publicly commit to a vaccination target? And lessons from our allies as Australia's Delta outbreak steadily gets worse. The chance of them actually getting back to zero transmission from here I think is unfortunately slight. We will have that for you shortly. But first, all going well in just a few months, all New Zealand adults should have had access to the COVID-19 vaccine. And the government has laid out tentative plans for getting ready to reconnect with the world. Our health system cannot cope with a massive uh, outbreak, and we all know that. And if we open too early before we have our defences in place, then before we know it, we'll be back in lockdown. That would be a disaster from a business perspective. We need to focus on those who aren't accessing our vaccine and we need to change our vaccine rollout if need be to meet those people in the community and ask them what it is that we can do differently for them. People always say if it comes, it's already in a couple of hospitals, it's an MIQ, so we, you know, we've always got to be vigilant and not to be complacent. And gosh, if we start having outbreaks, people are going to be clamouring to get the vaccine. Of course, this is the first time we've had a framework for reopening beyond our bubble partners, and much of Q&A today will focus on what comes next. We will begin with Associate Health Minister Aisha Verrill, who is in our Wellington studio this morning. Tēnā welcome to Q&A. Good morning, Jack. From the modelling you have available, what percentage of New Zealand adults will need to be vaccinated before the government considers reopening? The modelling that we've seen, um, most of which was done before the emergence of the Delta variant, even then, it was uh, hard to establish a um, threshold at which you couldn't still get outbreaks. Now, there's some good under underlying that. You can still reduce the size of outbreaks, uh, but, it, but there is no magical number, as the um, SCED committee has said, at which we can guarantee New Zealand that they're um, safe, safe from COVID transmission. So uh, that, uh, plus the fact that it, while we're in the rollout, we want everyone to be taking up that opportunity, has meant we have not set a target for that. What is the threshold then for reopening? There's a, a lot that can change between now and um, and the end of the year when uh, when we anticipate everyone who's eligible would have been offered the, the vaccine. And one of the things that the committee's been very careful to point to is that the emergence of the Delta variant shows us just how much can change in six months' time. So if we set a threshold for reopening now, uh, we may very well have to change that uh, when we're confronted with new, uh, new facts in six months' time. So I think um, uh, what we've laid out is the types of criteria that we'll use, that we'll be looking at overall coverage rates, but also how coverage varies according to geography and ethnicity and people who are vulnerable. So you, you said you only have a small amount of modelling available that concerns the Delta variant at this stage. Can I ask from the best information you have available at the moment, accepting that a lot can change over the next few months, what do you think would be an appropriate threshold? I don't have a view on an appropriate threshold. I haven't seen information that suggests there is one. From the mod, uh, for why, why at the moment are Māori being vaccinated 
at a lower rate than the rest of the population. So the um, vaccine rollout has progressed um, from the perspective of most people in the population on an age base on an age-related basis. We've stepped down through the age groups because mm. COVID uh, risk is strongly correlated with age. When you look through those age bands, you, you'll see that um, Māori are vaccinated at the same or higher rate. So for um, ages above 55, Māori and Pacific are vaccinated at the same rate. So the differences in rates overall are to do with the younger age structure of the Māori population. Uh, so we've moved from a period in this rollout where we've been really constrained by supply and had to focus the vaccination on those most at risk. We are now in a much better position and you'll know that we're opening up and on uh, to um, age groups more quickly and that gives us really an opportunity to mm. move, move through and make sure at the um, level of the whole population we're offering the vaccine to everyone who needs it and we keep a very close eye on Māori vaccination. If we keep, um, if we consider the vaccination rates for people who have had two doses of the Pfizer vaccine, the latest numbers show that Māori make up 9% of that population, Pacifica people make up 6% of that population. How will bringing Group 4's bookings forward impact levels of Māori and Pacifica vaccination? It will allow us, because we're moving into younger age groups, to really start moving through the large majority of the Māori population, which will uh, mean that the, we expect and uh, uh, those rates to come up. I think one of the things is we've known that this is a risk from the very beginning because of the history of our vaccination uh, uh, services not meeting the needs of Māori. And so some incredible work has been done um, with Māori providers at the at the local level. I've visited many of them. Mm. Um, I've visited a service uh, uh, who vaccinated um, 2,000 kaumatua in, um, in Hamilton. Now, that on its own doesn't meet the needs of uh, raising our vaccination rates, but it might have been that those 2,000 would not have been vaccinated if they were left to a uh, Pākehā mainstream service. Uh, that's how we're going to do this, by working with communities to make sure that people are receiving their vaccine from someone they trust, and plans for that, that are well made. It's really interesting to consider the mass vaccination event in Manuko a couple of weeks ago. We've got some pictures here. So 15,000 people were vaccinated in that event, but less than a fifth of those people were Māori or Pacifica. So if access for Māori has been a problem up until this point, isn't there a real risk that people like me will swamp the vaccine booking systems when it opens on September 1st? Uh what we have to do is make sure that we have multiple ways that every person has multiple opportunities to engage with the vaccination programme. And so you'll know that there are mass events, there are pop-up events in community, there are marae-based uh, services, and we are increasingly bringing on general practice. So. Um, while any one event could could well appeal to a particular demographic more than another, we're not just letting it be about one event. It has to be that there are multiple opportunities for people to enter the system. Is, is the concern over Pākehā people swamping the, the vaccine booking process come September 1st something that you considered in bringing forward that booking system? I think... Um, 
uh, know, what we know is we've got um, a proportion of the, uh, we've, we've got to get through the rest of the population mm. by the end of the year. Mm. Uh, so we have to make all of those spaces available over time. We know that there is likely when you look at, um, I suppose this answers your question, uh, when you look at around the world, there is a peak period of demand. It's often about eight weeks where um, uh, then the, at the end of that period, the name of the game changes to identifying people who are, mm. by definition, harder to harder to reach. So we know that work is ahead of us as well. We have, until recently, been focused on the scale up, and then we'll need to pivot to um, much more micro targeting of people who are harder to reach. Okay, I, I, I want to throw you here a quote from Dr. Rawadi Jansen. Uh, from Te Ropu Papa Uruta. Now, this is something that is being published in North and South, so it comes out tomorrow. You won't have seen this yet. But um, Dr Jansen says this, the next outbreak in New Zealand will be the Delta or Lambda variant. It's going to arrive and it's going to be really, really transmissible at a time when Māori and Pacifica are less vaccinated than everyone else. If me, quote me there, because that's a an effing perfect storm. His concerns there are that as we open up, Māori and Pacifica communities are going to be left out of that ramping up of vaccination rates. And, I, and I'm really interested to know what else you can do to try and make sure those communities are well supported when the rest of us are all scrabbling to get vaccinations. Yeah, so just to be absolutely clear, there is no proposal to broadly open up the border and to let down our protections while this rollout is going through. So absolutely, the um, elimination strategy is probably mm. the most pro-equity strategy from the perspective of Māori, Pacifica and the elderly and the ill that, that I can think of in health. So we are protecting everyone while they have the opportunity to get vaccinated and absolutely the burden on us is to give everyone a fair um, opportunity to be vaccinated. I suppose the point here is that um, as the year continues, if Māori and Pacifica vaccination rates aren't kept really, really high, when the general population is vaccinated and there's still a chance that Delta makes its way into the country, that unvaccinated population could be our most vulnerable. That's right. So what we're um, in responding to the threat of a Delta outbreak during the vaccination campaign, that is the main reason why we're going to the six-week interval, mm. because that means that we have the opportunity to maximise everyone's protection by giving them their first dose, which gets us to about 74% protection against mm. hospitalisation, and then um, following up with the second dose. So they really uh, that that is the point there. Plus, as I've said, we know we have. To to be offering appropriate avenues for vaccination for Māori and Pacifica, and we're doing a whole lot of work to make sure we do that. Research out of the UK shows that an eight-week gap between Pfizer vaccine doses is the most effective way um, to build resistance to the Delta variant. Why aren't we going eight weeks instead of six? Yeah, I think when um, uh, when scientists cut the data in, in different ways, sometimes these definitions um, uh, can be a little bit arbitrary. Uh, the advice from our experts was six or more is fine. Why hasn't the government ordered any booster shots? Look, we're um, uh, uh, looking to the future and seeing that there is an uh, emerging um, uh, uh, interest in, in bo booster shots. I think there's just uh, one um, 
piece of news come out overnight from the FDA about a very narrow situation in which booster shots might be helpful. Now that's likely, uh, there's likely to be more evidence come out about that in the next wee while. And then there's another issue as well, that booster shots may not be what's required, but a whole other vaccine for different variants. We uh, look really closely at this evidence and we're always in close communication with our, with vaccine max, uh, manufacturers about what our options are there. Lots of other countries have already ordered booster shots. Some other countries are already distributing um, booster shots, the likes of Israel, where, of course, they've been using the Pfizer vaccine. Wouldn't it be a prudent response to order those booster shots just in case? Yeah, Jack, I'm not able to go into the uh, situation with our discussions um, with, with manufacturers, but we watch that evidence really closely. When are you likely to make a decision uh, on booster shots? Yeah, I, I'm not able to say that. I'm sorry. If we haven't signed off on children being vaccinated yet, and, and we know that children are at greater risk to the Delta variant, would you support making vaccinations mandatory for teachers in New Zealand, treating teachers like frontline workers? Yeah, that's an interesting um, proposition, and to, to be um, honest, I hope uh, I hope most teachers will take up the um, opportunity to be vaccinated because um, they certainly uh, work in crowded settings all, all the time, and we've already had, even in New Zealand, examples of school-based transmission of um, of COVID. Mm. Um, I think the thing is we'll, we'll see movement on uh, the evidence for childhood vaccination very quickly over the next six months and uh, we're currently considering the 12 to 15 year old age group where you mm. know we have MedSafe approval and I think studies from Pfizer uh, and other companies on the, um, on the age groups between 12 and six months, so all the way down to early infancy, will, will be available very soon. Uh, throughout, we've, um, uh, we've always had uh, a form of regulatory approval of the vaccination that's been much uh, stronger than that in other countries, and um, so far we haven't contemplated changing that approach. In the meantime, though, while we wait for that approval for, for younger New Zealanders, would it not be the safest option to mandate vaccines for all teachers to try and reduce the chance of transmission in schools? Yeah, mandatory vaccination is something that we've... Um, it's, it's a very big step. You've seen the government has taken that step when it relates to border... Um, uh, the vaccination of border workers, where by September all, mm. um, all border workers have to uh, ha have mandatory vaccination. I think if you... Um, yeah, so, so we, haven't, we haven't made any decisions about vaccinating, uh, requiring vaccination of teachers, but I would certainly encourage teachers to take that step for their own health. With your personal experience in this space, in epidemiology, would you support that move? Uh, as, as you know, when you're a cabinet minister, you don't get the luxury of, of um, uh, pontificating about steps the government hasn't taken yet. Uh, so, look, I mean, we just have to have to watch the evidence. It is true that when that schools are an important area to focus on uh, when um, uh, when younger generations aren't yet vaccinated. Given just how insidious Delta is proving to be, what do you think is the likelihood of a lockdown sometime in this year? It's a live possibility for this year, and um, that's why we have taken the step of um, of increasing the period between vaccinations, so we can move through the po through more of the population getting their first dose faster. Um, precisely because of that, 
look, we have done a lot, um, and, and I can only speak to the period of time I've been in government to really ramp up our, our border protections, and MIQ seems to be performing much better as a uh, um, in terms of preventing and facility transmission than it was last year. So we're doing everything we can at the border, but yes, there is a possibility of community transmission of Delta, and we've got to be prepared. Kia ora. Thank you very much for your time. That is Associate Health Minister Aisha Verrill. Straight after the break, Nationals' Chris Bishop is here to respond. Kia ora we welcome back to Q&A. National supports the government's proposed reopening framework in principle, but everything still hinges on the vaccine rollout. National COVID-19 response spokesperson Chris Bishop is with us. Tēnā koe. Good morning. OK, imagine an alternative universe. You're sitting in Cabinet right now. With the information you have available, what would you do differently? Well, I think the first most obvious thing is to order booster shots for next year. I just think it's staggering that uh, Dr Verrill couldn't really answer the question as to why the government hasn't ordered them. Um, Australia's ordered um, millions of doses, US, the EU, uh, Pfizer has made it clear that it's first in, first served, and uh, we have not ordered a single one, and I think that's that's pretty bad. But, but that's the first thing. I think more generally, um, we would be much more upfront with New Zealanders around what target we need to reach as a country to reopen the borders. If you actually read the PM's speech on uh, Thursday, she just says we need a high level of coverage, and you just heard Dr Vera repeat it there. Well, what does high level mean? High level might mean 80%. But 60% is not high level uh, and it won't be enough to reopen the borders. If we get to 60% vaccination coverage, uh, I think the modelling will probably show that if we partially reopen the borders, uh, we will have massive community transmission in New Zealand. So we need to know some hard numbers around what we need to get to. What would be your target? I think you need to take the public health advice on that. But what I've seen from uh, over... But the public health... Sorry to interrupt you. No, the public health advice is that at the moment, I mean, we heard from David Skeg, the expert advisory group, they say that the information isn't clear at the moment, that Delta... We, we're still learning about Delta. It's clearly insidious, and actually the game plan changes all the time. Yeah, but they've also... Um, have The government has done some work around uh, what... Uh, model, what the modelling shows around reopening the border would mean. And so I think they need to be upfront with New Zealanders around that. Uh, and we think a target makes sense for a couple of reasons. The, f the first is that um, it's, it explicitly ties our border outcomes to what that target is, mm. uh, and I think we need to be upfront around that. As I say, if you get to 60%, it's probably unlikely we can reopen the border. 90%, you starts to look a lot more likely, but what is that number? And I accept Dr Verrill's point that there's not a magic number, but there probably is a range, uh, particularly when it comes to regional spread and with Maori and Pacifica, for example. So what is that? And then the second thing is I think it would allow the team of five million to come together uh, to work collectively towards a goal. And you know, I know it's an imperfect analogy, but if you look at telethons, even buying a beach, for example, like we did a couple of years ago, um, the Red Sox campaign, uh, the America's Cup, you know, we're, even the lockdown last year, we're actually pretty good as a country of getting behind a particular national goal. And I think that would, you know, I think they have a psychological impact on the population. So accept the scientific point of view that there's no magic number uh, and that the government wants everyone to have a vaccine who wants one. Mm. Um, but, you know, there has to be a point at which it's safe to reopen the border and the government needs to be a bit more upfront around that. Well, my point is that... Is that it Certainty is the thing we all want, right? And certainty is the one thing none of us can have in the middle of a pandemic. The government doesn't feel confident putting any number up there on the information they have available at the moment or certainly publicising it. I mean, you, you are in contact with public health officials. You are watching the spread of Delta around the world. You give us a number. 
I, look, I'm not a scientist. I'm not. I'm not a, a public health expert. Um, what I'm saying, but there are public health experts who agree with me, by the way, that there should be um, a number or a range of numbers out there. Um, so I'm just saying the government. What, needs to be what, the, what, what number do they offer? Uh, well, they, they, I don't know the exact precise number. What they say is that there should be a range out there and the government needs to be up front around linking that target to border outcomes. I think this is the point, is that uh, the government should have done the modelling uh, around what... Uh, allowing double vaccinated travellers from overseas into New Zealand would mean in terms of community transmission for New Zealand, depending on a particular rate of vaccination coverage in New Zealand. If they haven't done that, um, how on earth can they make plans for next year around reopening the border? The problem is Delta, though, isn't it? In the, Delta's spreading at the moment. We're still learning about yeah. this strain. It's not like the earliest strains of COVID-19. Yeah. We, we, we might have had more firm modelling data yeah. around in that space. Yeah, I mean, well, that's right. But that's also an argument for just um, staying locked into the hermit kingdom, splendid isolation forever. The government hasn't actually done that. The government has outlined, actually, on the face of it, a reasonably ambitious plan for reopening the border uh, next year. So even the government is saying, yep, Delta's really dangerous and we completely agree. We've been warning uh, about it for months. Uh, but, you know, we do need a plan and at least a pathway out of the Hermit Kingdom. OK, um, back to the booster shots. The yep. WHO actually wants to stop countries from, from booking booster shots so that poorer countries can have their first and second vaccinations. Is it not in New Zealand's best interest to make sure that poor countries are vaccinated before we get booster shots to try and stop the next strain of Delta from emerging? Take that argument to its logical conclusion. We wouldn't be vaccinating any New Zealander right now. We don't have any COVID in New Zealand. There are other countries that have community transmission of COVID. Uh, they need vaccines more than we do. If you run that argument to its logical conclusion, we're last in the world to roll out the vaccine. So no one actually really accepts that argument. The government ran that for a while at the start of the uh, start of the year when they said when they were trying to explain away why we were so slow on the vaccines. Now they don't make that argument because they realise the New Zealand public actually has a right to be vaccinated as quickly and as effectively as possible, and we strongly agree with that. We need to speed it up and get on with it. As a percentage of the population. Are our Māori and Pacifica vaccination rates acceptable at the moment? No, they're totally unacceptable. And uh, the mass vaccination um, event in Manukau, um, you know, a couple of weekends ago, didn't actually vaccinate enough Pacifica in a you know a population that has a high Pacifica population. I do find that. Fun. I just want to repeat that stat because I think it's a, a, amazing. amazing it's, yeah. So fifteen thousand people, yeah. or more than fifteen thousand people, were vaccinated at that event. Less than a fifth yeah. were Maori or Pacifica in a community that is clearly yeah. has a large Maori and Pacifica community. Yeah, it's, it's astonishing. I mean, basically, what happened is all the Pakeha in South Auckland turned up for the mass vaccination attempt. That's that's great. We've got to get them vaccinated too. But I really worry about vaccine hesitancy amongst our Maori and Pacifica population and we've really got to get it up. A couple of things I would do. First, GPs. We've got to make much more effective use of our GPs. All the public health experts I say, I talk to say that uh, the number one way to convince people to get vaccinated uh, is for people that they trust uh, to convince them to do it or, or you know, persuade them to do it. Um, GPs, people have a family, a familial relationship with a, a very close bond often. Make much more use of GPs. And secondly, um, go, go where Pacifica people are, where Maori people are. So, yeah, we're doing a little bit of stuff with Marais. Uh, we need to be making much more use of community leaders, much more use of churches, much more use of innovative, fun, family-friendly mm. events where people can go. Uh, and maybe they go for the food and the music or whatever, or, or, or worship. And there's vaccination on the side, and it makes it really easy for people. These mass vaccination events are, are not really cut out for everyone. We need to go where people actually are.
Okay, um, I, I want to consider that point from Dr. Rawiri Jansen from Te Ropu Papa Uruta, the, the Māori Pandemic Response Group. He's concerned that as we open up vaccinations to more of the general population, Māori and Pacifica will be left further behind. And then if we do have a Delta outbreak later this year, who's our unvaccinated population? What do you know? It's our most vulnerable people. Yeah. Do you share those concerns? Yeah, I, I really do. As I say, I'm incredibly worried about the Māori and Pacifica vaccination rates and particularly hesitancy amongst those groups. So so should we be opening vaccinations to everyone on September 1st? Uh, well, we now have the supply. So um, previously the argument for essentially going in a priority order was where we didn't have the enough. The point is that, that like that Manuko, Manuko event, people like me will end up swamping the booking system and getting mm. vaccinated at the expense of Māori and Pacifica. I think we can do both. We can open it up to people like you and me from September 1st, people who are keen, enthusiastic, they want to go down and, and mm. get vaccinated, and there are lots of people out there, we, and we really need to do that, because Delta is, you know, it's in New Zealand now, it's just not in the community, thank, thank goodness. Uh, but we also need to have a range of innovative approaches that go to where Maori and Pacifica live uh, and into their communities and use the community leaders and use uh, people who are trusted by them uh, to get vaccinated as well. That is incredibly important because I don't want to get us to a situation where we get to quarter one next year, 90% mm. of the Pākehā population is vaccinated and the Maori rate is 50%. That would be terrible for New Zealand and terrible for reopening the border. Should vaccines be mandatory for teachers until we have approval for children to be vaccinated? That would be a big step. Um, we've made it mandatory at the border, and fr actually, frankly, we've made it. Well, it's been too slow for port workers, as we've seen uh, this week. I mean, we still have 35% of port workers unvaccinated, completely unvaccinated. Uh, so we've made it mandatory at the border. I think most New Zealanders would be on board with that because that's the entry point for, for Delta or for COVID into New Zealand. Teachers would be a big step, and if you start doing teachers, you know, there's a whole lot of other groups you might want to do. I mean, truck drivers, uh, for example, that would be a big step. Um, other uh, sort of population um, groups, that would be big. Except that we know Delta affects kids more than mm. previous strains mm. of, of COVID-19. Mm. So if we are looking to protect that population and they can't be vaccinated mm. at that stage, at this stage, isn't that a sensible step? Let, let's start doing kids from age 12 to 16. Uh, and I mean, let's we start have to doing wait the, for approval for that. Well, it's, I mean, you know, it's, it's happening in other parts of the world. I mean, it's, it's inevitable we're going to do it here. Um, let's start the planning for it now. So well, I'm sure the planning has begun. But oh, well, I'm not sure that's true, to be honest, because um, one of the things about this government is they often announce lots of things, and then actually it turns out that the on-the-ground, in-practice reality is a little bit different. Just so, so I'm really clear, though, do you think that we should start vaccinating them before the official pro uh, approval process no, has been I'm completed? No, I'm not saying okay. that, but, okay. but I'm saying it's inevitable um, that that's likely to happen and we should be getting on with it as soon as we can, because the school year is going to run out. You know, we should be doing it in the school year now. We should be doing um, vaccinations in our schools around the country this year. OK. Do you think the um, trans-Tasman bubble should be open before Christmas? That will depend on the science. It's highly unlikely that it will open just from what you can mm. see overseas, um, New South Wales, all these new cases, um, other, other parts of Australia too. It looks unlikely. Obviously, you're guided by the public health evidence and the science on that, but looking unlikely, and that's a tragedy, but unfortunately, um, it's just got out of control there. All right. Thank you very much. Chris Bishop is National's COVID-19 spokesperson. We will bring in our panel shortly, but after the break, does vaccine hesitancy or vaccine access present a bigger risk in building New Zealand's defences against COVID-19?
Kia ora koutou, welcome back to Q&A. Dr Sue Kringle is a GP, a public health physician and professor of preventive medicine and so, uh, preventive and social medicine at the University of Otago, excuse me. Tēnā koe, welcome to Q&A. Um, I want to dig a little more into Māori and Pacifica vaccination rates at the moment because we know those are critical when we're looking ahead a few months and looking to reopen New Zealand's borders. At the moment, 9% of people who have two vaccinations are Māori, mm -hmm. 6% are Pacifica, as a percentage of the vaccinated population, should those numbers be higher? Yep. I think um, it's true, Aisha's comments about the age structure of the population are true. And when you look at the um, vaccination coverage in the older age groups, at the moment, the Māori vaccination rates are doing really well. Um, and the younger age groups are not so well. Uh, and so I think going forward, we really need to be keeping a very careful eye and we need to be thinking about what are the things that we can do to make sure the Māori coverage rates stay high. What do you think we should be doing then? Um, I think that we need to uh, support the Māori providers um, who have done a fantastic job in those older age groups. Uh, and I know that we're opening up our vaccination um, to by general practitioners, but we really need to expand the role that the Māori providers play. Uh, we need to be looking at pop-up events that are more appealing than a mass vaccination uh, event in South Auckland so that we get lots of Māori whānau going to those events. OK, what would a pop-up event look like? What sort of thing do you, do you envisage? Yeah, well, I think that we have some examples from what the Māori providers have been doing where, you know, there's... Um, um, some kai, um, the opportunity to have good conversations with people while you're waiting rather than sitting in a chair a metre apart from someone else. Mm. Uh, and so I think there's really good examples of how to do that well. Is there a risk in opening up the vaccines for the general population earlier than we had previously yep. planned to do that that will swamp out Māori, Pacifica and vulnerable communities? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I acknowledge that we've got the vaccine, we're under time pressure to try and get our vaccination coverage high, uh, but we really need to be thinking about how we can prevent those inequities appearing. Uh, and I think that, you know, Aisha's comment about the eight weeks of kind of maximum demand and then looking at who are the groups who haven't been well served in that first eight weeks is pretty uncomfortable for me because if we get COVID before the end of the year and we have not been able to make sure that the groups that are more vulnerable to COVID and to adverse COVID outcomes have been vaccinated, then we're really in trouble. This was Rawiri Jansen's point, I think, you know, that there is a risk isn't there, and he called it a perfect storm, yep. or an effing perfect storm, <laughs> to quote him directly, that there is a risk that as the general population is, receives its first dose, we get Delta later this year, and the people who are not vaccinated at that point are Māori, Pacifica, or vulnerable yep. communities. Yep. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Um, OK, is there a message then that the government needs to be changing uh, some of its approaches around those vulnerable communities? Is there stuff that you haven't seen so far from those Māori health providers that you think needs to change before September 1st? Uh, I think there's a couple of things. I think we could really expand the groups and the, um, that are providing those, so have, have 
better funding, have more have more of those services available. I think we should also be making more use of COVID-19 vaccine assistants um, who are a kind of new vaccine workforce who work under the supervision of registered nurses uh, to deliver COVID vaccines. And I think it would be great to see an expansion of that workforce. How much of an issue is vaccine hesitancy in Māori and Pacifica communities? Uh, so I struggle with the phrase vaccine hesitancy uh, because I think that some of that is driven by um, a need for information that answers people's questions. And we know that in the Māori community where there have been people, trusted people going out and having conversations at Marae or other community venues, people's questions are answered and that relieves a lot of their um, hesitancy to yeah. have the vaccine. So I really don't like the phrase hesitancy. Um, and um, so I think if we can get information out to people, then many of many Māori will consider having the vaccine. Because that was what Chris Bishop was just saying. His concern is, and sorry to use the phrase you don't like, is hesitancy is that Māori and Pacifica are less trusting of the vaccine. You don't see that as being a major issue? Uh, no, I see that um, I, there will be people who, for a variety of reasons, don't trust the vaccine. Uh, and, but I think that's a very small proportion and I think if we provide people with the information that they need by trusted people in the places where they are, mm. then I think that will answer a lot of the hesitancy. Is the hesitancy in the Māori and Pacifica communities greater than it is in the general population, do you think? Um, I, I don't really want to comment on that because I haven't seen any of the kind of latest survey results. Okay. Let me ask about children. Uh, we know that the, the Delta variant um, from international examples is spreading in younger communities much more and that it's having some really serious um, impacts on children. Should we consider mandating vaccines for teachers until vaccines are approved for younger New Zealanders? Uh, it's complicated. Uh, so if we mandate vaccines for teachers, that's actually about protecting the teachers and the community beyond them, mm. if, if there was COVID amongst school children. Uh, but there's not at the moment. But there could be. Uh, but the there could be. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So, 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 I mean, because we've done it for other workforces, right? The frontline border staff, for example, have to be vaccinated. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to know how we can provide greater protection for young New Zealanders before we have approval for vaccines. Mm, mm. What do you think? Um, so, in terms of mandating it for teachers, it would be good to know how many teachers would not have the vaccine. Mm. Uh, and I don't know if we know that yet. It would be great to make them a priority group for vaccination. Um, so I think we'd need more those types of levels of information first. Yeah, are there other things we can be doing to protect children in the meantime? Um, getting, getting vaccination coverages up in the older populations, maintaining our very good border management and controls at the moment. Um, is good so that mm. we don't get um, the virus leaking out mm. into the community from mm. the borders. Those are the things that we can do at the moment. I know there are some concerns about the health workforce at the moment and for burnout for people who have been on the front lines dealing with this virus for the last 18 months. Can you give us some perspective? What is life like for people on the front line at the moment? Yep, I think um, 
it was it was quite scary last year. I mm. think now, particularly, and, and you know, I'm, I'm a GP, so mm. I can talk about general practice. I think that we're really busy. Uh, I think that we're dealing with things that you know may have become more uh, acute. Because, or more complicated or complex because of kind of delays associated with what happened last year. Um, so, yeah, it's tough. Is burnout an issue? Um, I was at the College of General Practitioners conference last week and um, last weekend, and burnout was a big theme of the conference. Mm. Uh, I think that's seen globally, actually. Mm. And the next few months aren't going to get any easier, are they? No. 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 All right. Thank you so much for your time, Sue. We really Kilda. appreciate it, Kilda. Dr. Sue Kringle. After the break on Q and A, RIP the Trans Tasman bubble. Now with Delta, New Zealand is much better just to shut themselves off until. New Zealand gets its vaccine coverage north of 70%. And then you open up again. Tēnā koutou, welcome back. If the Delta variant of COVID-19 is discovered in the community, health officials say we'll go straight back into an alert level four lockdown. It is a distinctly different approach to the one that has contributed to the size of the outbreak in New South Wales. Of course, the entire state is now under a stay at home order more than eight weeks after the Bondi cluster began with more than 460 new cases yesterday alone. One News Australia correspondent, Andrew McFarlane, has plotted what went so wrong. Hello from Sydney, the COVID capital of Australia. It's been more than 50 days since large parts of New South Wales went into lockdown and daily case numbers have now surged past 400, with officials warning they're not sure if we've reached the peak of this outbreak. And very concerningly, we had 466 cases of community transmission. This is the largest jump we have seen in a night. So where did it all go wrong? On the 16th of June, an unvaccinated airport limo driver tests positive for the Delta variant, triggering a list of exposure sites in and around Bondi. In the following days, the driver's partner, along with those he had fleeting contact with, also catch the virus. The outbreak spills beyond Sydney's CBD and New Zealand pauses the travel bubble nearly one week after the first case. The next day, with cases at 48, the state premier opts for a soft lockdown. Restrictions were tightened three days later, but numbers have continued to surge since. The most important part was that they didn't do a hard enough lockdown early in the piece. I'm speaking with Professor Tony Blakely, a leading epidemiologist who has been advising the New South Wales government. The virus is now in the essential workers, in culturally and linguistically diverse communities. The virus has found the most likely place it can take hold in Sydney and now it's very hard to eke out. So for those reasons it's proving very challenging for Sydney. The chance of them actually getting back to zero transmission from here I think is unfortunately slight. The one thing everyone seems to agree on, vaccines are Australia's best shot at bringing things under control. So are they doing the trick? This is the number of locally acquired cases in Sydney sorted by age over a seven day period. The largest group testing positive, 10 to 29 years old, 
those who've had the toughest time accessing a jab. I think it was right to vaccinate the vulnerable and we did what we thought was right given the virus last year and early this year. But now we really have to ramp up the vaccination of who, whatever age they are, those people who are essential workers who have to stay out there when we've got lockdown. Okay, so Tony, what should New Zealand learn from this situation? With Delta, New Zealand is much better just to shut themselves off until New Zealand gets its vaccine coverage north of 70%. And then you open up again. But the big learning out of this is how hard it is to control Delta if it gets a little bit out of control, so don't even let it get in. That's something New Zealand's COVID response minister Chris Hipkins seems to agree with. Signalling level four would most likely be used to crush any outbreak straight away, using any tool possible to avoid a Delta disaster like Sydney's. Andrew McFarlane there. Our panellists have been keenly reviewing the Skeg report and the government's reopening plans. Fran O'Sullivan is NZME's business editor and Ephesal Collins is an Auckland councillor and member of the Labour Party. Kia ora kōrua. Uh, Fran, I'll begin with you. Let's start with the Skeg report. Were you surprised at the relative lack of certainty in that report? <laughs> yes, I was. But what was really interesting was reading those um, series of letters uh, issued by David Skegg on behalf of the team. Mm. And uh, starting in June, where it was sort of a, a more sort of certain approach. And then obviously, as Delta came in, uh, much more hedging of bets. I was surprised that they haven't opted for a vaccine target rate and also surprised that the politicians are skirting around that issue. I think it's absolutely essential to unite the nation and set a goal and do whatever we can through employers who can be incentivising their people, unions, others, community leaders, and, and making sure we get there mm. before this thing becomes rampant. OK, here. I'm going to come back to that point because that's a really interesting point. But, Afisa, what did you make of the report and the response? Yeah, it was good. David, Sir David said that you know, their job is to provide the advice to the government mm. that kept away from decision-making. That's for the politicians. It's good the scientists have taken centre stage here, and I, I'm glad that they have because it's been important that we get the knowledge out there. As far as the decisions are concerned, I thought the report, yeah, it got a little bit more harder to follow eh, from, from a logical perspective. So things like targets weren't really set out, but that was because they're saying we're the scientists I, and we'll give you the info. I think some people were surprised at, at the government response. I think, I think some people, even Chris Bishop in that interview said, you know, he was actually pretty pleased with what the government, the framework yeah. that the government had placed in response yeah. to, to a report which really yeah, didn't have a heap of detail. No, and I think the government... Uh, a lot of people would have thought that uh, Jacinda Ardern would have been much more hesitant mm. still and been very focused on the elimination strategy at the expense of um, opening the border. But, but essentially what she is saying is assuming it's not running rampant here and assuming that everyone who is vaccinated who can be, in other words, opportunity is placed there for people to do it, um, you know, come first quarter of next year, that's when they would look to do it. Mm. You heard from Aisha Verrill. She says the reason they don't want to introduce a vaccine target is they don't have enough information about Delta at this stage. Knowing what we do about Delta, do we have enough information, do you think? Well, I think, I think it, what's interesting, some of the international coverage I've been reading suggests that obviously the current uh, vaccine isn't as effective as at the Delta variant as you know prior to. Uh, but what's happening is Pfizer is developing a um, tweak to that vaccine so that, in fact, it actually does target Delta. And that is um, underway now, mm. uh, you know, maybe in, in some respects not having that, that booster shot based on 
the current uh, mm. vaccine is is not a bad thing. Maybe it's better to get one that has been tweaked. But to that target point, though, do we have do we know enough about Delta at the moment to set a target? Look, I think we've just got to go for it, and we've got to get mm. people vaccinated. Uh, where is the big public health advertising campaign? You know, what what information? You know, are we using our students to um, you know tell their tell their parents that in their own safety that they need to there the student mm. safety they need to get vaccinated? I mean, I'm thinking back many years ago, but when smoking became um, you know something that was disapproved on, often school kids yeah, told mm. their parents, "Hey, mum and dad, mm. you know." Mm this is not good for you, will you stop it? And, you know, there's all methods that can be used. Mm. I know I've been going on and on about equity issues this morning, but I am just fascinated by the numbers from that Manuko mass vaccination event. So 15,000 people vaccinated, less than a fifth were Māori or Pacifica. Am I reading too much into that, do you think, Afisa? Or, you know, what can we take out of that? Yeah, what we can take is that equity hasn't been at the centre of our thinking. I think this has been a failure by the DHBs and the Ministry of Health to make equity the centre. After that, uh, the vaccination event out in Manuko, I emailed the DHB and said, look, I've got some local contacts. They're a good group, South Seas, Otara Health, the Fono, Muma. Mm -hmm. I can connect you with these groups. It was, it's been almost two weeks and I still haven't got a reply. And that shows us that we are planning these events with lo without local knowledge. The government has to trust local community organisations because we're the best people to lead it out. Look, what, 15, less than a fifth of people were Māori and Pacific that were vaccinated at that event in an area that is predominantly yeah. Māori and Pacific. So I'm completely uh, astounded that they haven't connected with the local expertise to drive this vaccination rollout. OK, if, if you were advising them today and they've decided actually we are going to get back to a festival, we're going to do exactly what he says, what would you be doing? Well, I would, I would have a range of things there. Yeah, we've talked about having food there and mm. some music. They added that to the vaccination process when we suggested it on Twitter. And I was being told to just be quiet, shut up mm. and be grateful. So th that's one aspect of it. But the other thing we could have is we could have uh, agencies like Kainga Order, MSD there, so that it's more than just come and get the vaccination. It's what's your housing status at the moment? How are you guys doing? Do you need food parcels? All those community mm. organisations can be there because you don't just want to take a family over of six or seven people and all you're doing is getting a vaccination. That should be the byproduct of actually getting people together. Yeah, look, I, I think really this this whole, um, you know, series of stuff-ups, frankly, that have been going on, including not having a coordinated vaccine rollout, and there have been all these issues, should have been addressed. And if you go back to last year, Sir Brian Roche and Heather Simpson put together a report, and they said New Zealand doesn't have a strong coordinated public health response. Mm. They recommended then, and there have been uh, other recommendations uh, behind scenes since, that, in fact, you actually take it out of the health ministry. Mm. You take it away from Ashley Bloomfield, you set up a separate unit, very logical, very operational command control, and they get it done. Now, those recommendations have actually been um, ignored publicly. Uh, nothing has actually happened on that score. But, you know, Ashley Bloomfield has become, I guess, the public face of the response. Mm. But we're behind. We're not getting stuff done. And this week, uh, we've also seen Sir Brian come out and iterate that uh, recommendation publicly and saying it must happen. Uh, also against the context of what he is also saying and others on, on the committee he is on, that this could be a five or ten year um, issue. Mm -hmm. You know, we might see various different variants uh, emerge as it has with Delta and we're going to have to be very precise, be in war mode if you like, if we're going to actually 
you know, come mm. through this well. What's been the business response to the government's plans? Well, I think the business response, um, you know, welcomed it. Uh, it's more pragmatic, perhaps, than they expected. But again, too, too little um, detail around it, around target rates, around, um, you know, being quite firm about uh, how this will actually happen. I think they welcome the um, trial. That's a good thing, which will happen between October and December. Mm. And that puts a big um, you know, responsibility on, on business to make sure if they are sending people across the border you know, in the interests of exports and, and you know, doing business internationally, that when they come back and they self-isolate and they've got the, you mm. know, the, the um, yeah. <laughs> thing on. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah, <laughs> the I ankle mean, bracelet. They're not criminals. <laughs> they're not criminals. But if they've got the wrist bracelet on yeah. and, and they've been uh, monitored, that, that they actually live up to that. And that's good. That places some trust in business. Mm. But business, you know, has to step up as well. Well, when you say that, business has to step up, what can business do to support the vaccination drive? Well, I think, I think you can have, you know, um, you know, you could be even as blatant as putting up on your notice boards who's already been vaccinated. And, you know, you don't have to say who mm. hasn't. But you can actually, you can do that. You can incentivise. You could have a cash payment for going and getting it done. You could give them half a day off work or a day off if they're not feeling so well after it. Because some people do have reactions. Yeah. Mm. Some people on the second one do get... Um, headaches and, mm. and so forth, but you can just accept that that is part of part and parcel of staying a productive and safe workforce community. And I, I'd like to see leadership within uh, workplaces as well. And also the unions yeah, can yeah. can work hard on that. Yeah. yeah. What would you like to see there, Ifisal? Yeah, very similar. Look, the unions can encourage it. You've been touching on whether we should mm. mandate it, asking whether we should mandate it for teachers. I think the unions can play a really significant role, but incentivising people to take it. And I think you've also discussed a bit of hesitancy. I think we've got to be careful in that there's the hesitancy just around people who could believe the conspiracy theories, but there's also the hesitancy in more vulnerable communities mm. around trusting public institutions. Mm. And so the messaging has to get better. We can do that in business. We can do that in our schools, our ECE centres. It's all possible, but the messaging has to be right. And I think the Ministry of Health haven't done the comms right. OK. Um, what then would you change in the couple of weeks we have before the start of September and before it opening up if you want to avoid a situation where Māori and Pacifica are left behind? Where do you start? Look, we've got some really good uh, comms people who are out there. It's getting them involved, getting the mm. communities involved, letting the GPs at it, really. We've got a number of clinicians who are frustrated that they can't be involved. We've got to localise the way we do this. I think the big vaccination events are really useful, and that's good for the general population because we want everyone mm. to be vaccinated but we need a tailored approach and that's only going to happen when you're doing things with us not for us. That's interesting. Fran, do you see a point in the future where New Zealand has to introduce some sort of mandates? I mean, we see in the US, for example, some of the teacher unions already talking yeah, about yeah. And, mandates. And, um, President, and President yeah. Biden has, has been quite forthright on that and quite forthright also that unless you have vaccination mm. certificates, some, um, you know, like bars, that type of thing, going out to restaurants, that you may be precluded unless you're vaccinated mm. once, once we've swept through that. I mean, this is a really nasty virus. Um, from the reports I read, uh, Delta, you know, a thousand times more, um, not so much lethal, but, you know, in the infection rate, transmissible, it, it, it is a real threat. And yes, we do have it here. It's, it's um, in hospitals, not out in the community. But if it gets out, as we're seeing in Australia, I mean, mm. that poses a huge health threat and economic threat to us.
All right. I've got a couple of other issues I want to throw to you in a minute, including uh, the Lord of the Rings. Um, stick around. Q&A will be back after the break. Hokimaiti, we welcome back to Q&A. Amazon has announced it'll be taking the production of season two of its Lord of the Rings series to the UK, despite having received approximately $130 million during its production in rebates here in New Zealand. Um, Fran, this is interesting to me in that I think in the last year, there has been a bit of a switch. A year ago, New Zealand's closed borders were a real incentive, but from the reporting we've seen so far about Amazon's decision, it would seem that New Zealand's borders and the future of our border settings have actually persuaded them to move overseas. Yeah, and um, it, it's not so much in the formal statements, but in the other statements yeah. that have come out uh, from insiders around this, that COVID has played a, a role. And the UK, it is seen as being more pragmatic. It's got getting vaccinated uh, faster. People will be able to come and go from the US and reunite with families more, you know, more quickly than what's on the cards here. But they'll also have Delta. Yes. That's the thing, right? Yeah. So, so they're yeah. saying basically the, they the have equation. In the US. Exactly. But mm. the equation is okay, it might be less safe to do business in the UK, but actually it's easier. Yeah. And that's the equation they've made. Is it much of a loss, do you think, if you saw? Oh, I think it's really disappointing. After all we've done for them, we've, you know, mm -hmm. we, we had the settings right for them, gave them all these subsidies, made it work for them, and they've decided to go elsewhere. Yeah, they've got their particular issues that they're faced with. But you would think that they would work a little bit closer with our government just to work through what their main issues are. But to now head offshore, I think it's really disappointing. Rebates don't buy loyalty. <laughs> no, they don't. Um, just because we've been so cheery this morning, um, I've got to talk to you. To, to both about the IPCC report this week uh, on climate change, basically showing that if we cut all global emissions tomorrow, go to net zero emissions, we've still got 30 years of warming and the effects of global warming are coming around even faster than many scientists expected. What sort of pressure is this going to put on politicians here responding to the Climate Change Commission's report and heading into uh, the um, November World Forum? Yeah, it, it really is um, a big issue. And for Jacinda Ardern, who said it's her, her generation's, um, you know, major issue, like a nuclear uh, issue that previous generations had, she's going to have, to have to lead this. But it's also quite difficult because, you know, moves to electric vehicles, that type of thing here requires more power generation. We've had the issue of, of you know, the power shutout mm. um, just, just this week. Uh, there are issues around our prime exports at the moment. We're very reliant on, um, you know, dairy, beef, other, you know, from the land because we've lost tourism and education, international education, mm. due, to, due to COVID, essentially. So I would like to see some major investment in, um, you know, in methane uh, reduction, mm. uh, you know, big, big tech solutions to what New Zealand faces. And to me, blowing, you know, seven or eight hundred million dollars on a cycleway across the oh, harbour. That's not going to happen. That could go into where that could go into major research, yeah. like really take it seriously, invest behind it, get behind the farmers, subsidise them to make the shifts that are needed. OK, we've got to wrap up, guys. Thank you so much for your time. Sorry, Efeso, I know you've got a lot of thoughts on that, so we'll get you back from shortly. That is Q&A for this week. Kua mutu. Thank you for watching. And mihi ki Thank you for your contributions. Marae is up next from the Q&A team. Hey tērā wiki. We'll see you next Sunday at 9am. Q&A is made with the support of New Zealand On Air.